Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au. Now, uh, as we get stuck in, I have a question. First of all, um, put your hand up if you've seen The Good Place. All right, it's a TV show. All right, cool, cool. A few, quite a few hands, that's, that's decent. Um, TV show from a few years ago on Netflix. Um, it's like a, a silly comedy set up to be like a sitcom version of The Afterlife, right? Okay, this, this woman wakes up in this place um, where everyone's polite, there's no swearing, everyone just sits around eating frozen yogurt and like wearing gentle pastel-coloured clothing, all right? Um, she's told that she's actually died but doesn't need to worry um, because she didn't go to the bad place. Uh, instead, she's gone to the good place. But at the end of the first season, all right, spoiler alert, sorry, not sorry, um, she ends up discovering that the place she's in is actually the bad place after all. That everything that she thought was one thing had actually turned out to be part of something very different. Um, now, sorry for the spoilers, but I figured by now you've either watched it or you're never going to watch it. All right. But there are lots of movies that do that, right? Um, they have that big twist at the end, aren't there? Um, normally, it's at the, normally it is at the end of the movie where you find out something that, that isn't just a surprise that changes things moving forward from that point, but actually you find out something that changes the way you understand everything that had come before it in the past as well, so that when you look back or you watch the movie a second time, you suddenly see everything in a different way. Uh, movies... I don't know, some of these old usual suspects, all right, Sixth Sense, Planet of the Apes, Fight Club, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Shutter Island, um, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho is a classic, Inception, okay, um, I'm not going to spoil all of those for you, but I'm just covering my bases thinking, if you haven't seen The Good Place, hopefully you've at least seen one of those, right, you know what I'm talking about. Because in all of those movies, there's a twist at the end, there's a moment that reveals something that's been true since the beginning, the whole time, but you just never realized it. And then once you know that, you look back and you see everything in a new way. Tonight, in Ephesians, we actually see Paul explain something similar, all right, where he writes about God revealing the mystery of his will to us. Okay? And all through Ephesians, Paul talks about the mystery of God's will. And when Paul uses the word mystery, he's not meaning something that's like, you know, unexplainable or impossible to understand. All right? um, the word mystery here means something that was hidden, but now it's revealed. Okay, Something that was unknown, but, but now it's known. This term, we're working through a series on the church. Right, not the Point Community Church, but God's people, the church. Okay, And so far, we've looked at how the church is understood in relation to God's kingdom and God's family, God's temple, Christ's body. Last week, uh, Troy ran us through what it means to be like different members of Christ's body, in, in particular the armpit, if that's you. All of us have different gifts, equipped in serving different ways, serving Christ and one another, with Christ as the head of the body. This week, we're thinking about something that, that might seem even a bit more unusual or, or abstract than the church as Christ's body. Today, we're thinking into the church as Christ's bride. The church is Christ's bride. Now, I want to make something clear, just as a heads up. This isn't going to be a sermon on marriage. This is actually uh, a sermon on the church and how marriage helps inform our understanding um, of the church as the bride of Christ. Because as we look at Ephesians 5 in a moment, 
Well, see how it reveals the mystery, that, that the union of human marriage is actually to model and point us to the union between Jesus and his church. And almost paradoxically, I reckon, that means that this passage, it gives great significance to marriage because marriage points to the greatest union of all. But it also tempers the significance that we can place on marriage by by clarifying that marriage itself is not the greatest union of all. Um, It's also... uh, I reckon worth acknowledging that the, the mere mention of, of marriage can be painful for many people, um, including some of us here today, for all sorts of reasons, right? And yet, whatever the reasons are for the pain any of us might associate with human marriage, we all have the opportunity to be part of a union that is far better than that and far greater than that. And if you're in Christ, if you're a member of his body, the church, then you're already a part of that union. And one day you'll see it fulfilled in his eternal presence and glory. Being part of Christ's church is an amazing thing. And so regardless of your life circumstances, if you're part of Christ's church, then this is for you. So get excited. We are Christ's bride. The church is Christ's bride. Let's have a look. Um, in, In our Bible readings earlier, actually, when Ethan was reading through them, you would have heard him. He read Genesis 2, followed by part of Ephesians 5. Um, Ephesians was written by Paul the Apostle to the people in Ephesus, and he actually quotes one of those verses from Genesis to explain what that was foreshadowing all along. Let's have a look at it in Ephesians 5, verse 31. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse 31. In this first part, this is the quote from Genesis 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So that was in Genesis 2. Next verse. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So the quote from Genesis says that a man shall be united to his wife and become one flesh, and the mystery that Paul explains, the plot twist, the truth bomb that he puts in there, is that the union of marriage actually refers to Christ in the church. That's what it's been about all along. Now, let's be clear. Paul isn't saying that when Jesus came along, that the model of human marriage inspired Jesus to do something similar between himself and the church. It wasn't like he went, oh, hey, that's pretty cool. I'm going to copy that. It's a good idea. All right. No, 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 no. It's that before creation... God designed this future union between himself and his people through Christ. And so then he gave people human marriage between man and woman as a way to foreshadow that union, right? This is the profound mystery. All along, marriage has been about Jesus. The church is Christ's bride. Um, As I mentioned earlier, last week, Troy, he showed us through Scripture how the church is Christ's body. Christ is the head of the body, and we are all different members of his body. And in some ways, this revelation of the church as Christ's bride comes quite logically and naturally out of the church being Christ's body when we look closer at exactly what God's design for marriage is. Firstly, all right, on a pretty obvious level, we've already seen Genesis explain man and woman becoming one flesh in marriage. All right? There's that sense of one body. They become one flesh. Paul explains that the marriage union of becoming one flesh 
is also actually about Christ and the church. So the connection of being Christ's body with being Christ's bride is already there. But then have a look at verse 28, Ephesians 5, verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So Paul says that husbands loving their own wives is like loving themselves because she is part of his body. The idea of it being like loving themselves isn't like suggesting like a selfish thing. It's just capturing how mind-blowingly significant this union of marriage is. Two become one flesh, so much so that loving your spouse is loving yourself. Have a look now at the next verse, verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So it's all tied in together, right? In a similar sense, Christ loving the church is loving himself because the church is his body. So there's, there's a comparison here, if you're tracking with me. A, a husband's oneness with his wife is like Christ's oneness with the church. The idea of being Christ's bride and Christ's body, there's a connection there. So when Jesus loves you, us as his bride, when he loves you as, as one of his people, he's loving you as his body, as, as a member of his body, a member of the church. Okay, so... The church is Christ's body, the church is Christ's bride. They're not unrelated, random analogies. There's actually a continuity between both of those truths. And so what does that actually mean, practically speaking? Right? What does being Christ's bride show us about Christ, and how does it actually shape our lives as the church in practical ways? When it comes to the church being Christ's bride, there are, there are three things that I want to draw out for us, Right? That's always so, isn't it? First, Christ loves the church unconditionally. Christ loves the church unconditionally. We're his bride and he loves us unconditionally. Christ loved us first. Christ loved us first when we were his enemies. Christ didn't pursue us as his bride because of our wisdom or because of our intellect or our physical attributes, or our attractiveness. Christ didn't pursue us as his bride out of convenience, or for security, or out of loneliness. Christ didn't even pursue us as his bride because of our godly character, right? which we would think would be a good reason, right? Because we had no godly character. We had none. Romans 5 says that when we were his enemies, Christ died for us. Christ's love for us did not begin as like this love of admiration, like, whoa, they're so cool, I love them, look at them. There was nothing admirable in us as a church. His first love for us was not a response to our beauty, all right? we had none. His first love is completely by grace. We had done nothing to earn or deserve it. It was free and unconditioned. It's the, the love of choosing or, or electing us to be members of his church, which is often referred to as unconditional election, one of those nerdy terms you might have heard around the place. Have a look a few chapters earlier, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. <clears throat> it 
Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him after we had done lots of good things to earn it. No, that's not what it says. Um, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. So we weren't, we weren't chosen because Christ looked ahead and foresaw that we were going to be holy. And so he's like, oh, well, they're, they're holy people, so I'll choose them. No, 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 no. He chose us unconditionally before the world was even created because he planned to make us holy. We were unholy and he made us holy. We were dead and he made us alive. We were his enemies and he chose to make us his bride. Have a look at the next chapter, Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 verse 4. Ephesians 2 verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We were dead in our trespasses. God chose a a dead woman for his son's bride. Dead women don't begin by fulfilling criteria or meeting conditions, right? Okay, They begin by being raised from the dead, by being made alive. God loved us first, unconditionally, and regenerated us. When you were dead in your trespasses and sins, the Father, in order that he might choose the most unlikely bride for his son, came to you and said, rise, live. That's what happened to every one of us who knows Jesus. Before we looked pretty or sounded wise or were faithful, the electing love of God chose us. And the regenerating love of God raised us from the dead. The church is Christ's bride, and Christ loves his bride unconditionally. Second thing I want to highlight about the church being Christ's bride is that Christ gave himself up for his bride. Christ gave himself up for the church. Have a look back to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, check out verse 25. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see that? Not only did Christ choose us when we were dead, but he gave himself up for us to make us alive again. He died on the cross and he beat death. He overcame it. He rose alive again and made his bride the church, us, alive again in him. So, for us as the church to be Christ's bride means to be loved, not only with the electing love before the foundation of the world, not only with the regenerating love when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but also with a self-sacrificing love that dies for us. He did all of this at a cost to him. 
And remember, Christ didn't give himself up for an attractive bride. Right? He, he did not even give himself up for like, like a hesitant or a reluctant bride. Jesus gave himself up for a bride who was not only repulsive in sin, but was deluded enough to think that Jesus was repulsive. We were his enemies. He gave himself up, he died, to make this spiritually dead woman, the church, his wife, knowing that in her spiritual deadness, she found him utterly repulsive. She, that is we, wanted nothing to do with him. She was running from him and heaping scorn upon him. And it was for her that Jesus died. It was her that Jesus chose to be his bride. Christ gave himself up for the church. The saving, cleansing, beautifying effects of the cross were directed toward a fiancé, so to speak, who was unattractive and who found her future husband very unattractive and had no intention or desire to marry him at all. He gave his life especially for her, for us. That's what it means to be the bride of Christ. And this brings me to the third thing I want to highlight tonight about the church being Christ's bride, which is that when Christ gave himself up for us, his bride, and brought us from death back to life, he cleansed us, he sanctified us. Being the bride of Christ means being cleansed by him from our guilt for our sin. Christ cleansed the church. Um, Check out verse 25 again, Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Why did Christ give himself up for the church? So that he might sanctify her, cleanse her, wash her, and present her to himself holy and without blemish. This is already kind of implied when you think about it, when we considered how Jesus made us alive again a moment ago. But it's worth fleshing out in its own right as a third thing to highlight tonight. So firstly, we looked at the fact that Christ loved us unconditionally when we were dead in sin. Secondly, that Christ gave himself up for us and died for us when we were dead in sin. But thirdly, when Christ rose again and made us alive in him, he also cleansed us from our sin and the guilt we carried for our sin. This is enormous. Um, If you were around last term, we were working through Romans, and in Romans we, we looked at the weight of sin And how mind-blowing it is that God justified us by pouring his wrath that we deserve out on Jesus instead of us. But, of course, if we are actually going to be Christ's bride, then it couldn't be any other way. God is infinitely holy. So if a marriage is going to happen to the Son of God, there has to be a bath, a cleansing, a washing uh, a few months back, um, our church had some baptisms down at the Hastings River. Put your hand up if you're at those baptisms down there. Yeah, yeah, a whole bunch of you guys. Awesome. It was incredible, wasn't it? It was epic. 
so exciting. Many of you who are you who are here tonight, some of you guys, uh, were among those baptised, and even more of us were there to actually witness it. Uh, and some others of us have been baptised on other occasions as well. Now, the water in the Hastings River isn't magical or special, right? especially after a big storm or lots of rain. Um, but being baptised in it symbolises being washed clean by the water of the Word. That's part of why when our brothers and sisters were baptised that day, we chose to fully submerge them under before they came back up, all right? We didn't sprinkle them with a few drops, all right? We didn't toss them a wet wipe, okay? We dunked them, right? And of course, we could have sprinkled water on them and that would have been fine because remember, it's a symbol of what Christ has already done, all right? We don't need a certain amount of water to make it legit. But there's something helpful in the strength of the symbol when we see someone really being totally submerged in water, totally washed, and also dying with Christ and then rising again in him. It helps us appreciate how awesome the gospel is. This is what Jesus has done for us. We were wretches, filthy in sin, and Christ cleansed us and washed us and made us his bride. He made us his pure and holy bride. I want to take you to a passage in the Old Testament now. If you want to flick back to Ezekiel 16, so this is going to be quite a fair bit back in your Bibles. Ezekiel 16. As you're going there, I'll give you a bit of context. In this passage, Ezekiel is he's a prophet, so he's relaying God's message to his people, Israel. And it's a confronting message. Ezekiel 16, if you've already forgotten. Now, just a warning... There's confronting imagery of a newborn baby in this passage, if that's helpful to know in advance. But I reckon it's worth us reading as a foreshadowing of Jesus' marriage to the church. This is a confronting but also beautiful picture of God's marriage to Israel, which would later be fulfilled in an even greater and permanent sense through Christ and the church. Okay? In, in this passage, bit of context, God is looking upon his people, and it's not great. Israel had turned from him again and again and again, and had faced various judgments for that, which had left them looking pretty pathetic among the other nations. And yet, even in how weak and broken they were, even in how sinful and disobedient they were, God reaches out in grace. Let's have a look. Ezekiel 16, verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations, and say, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem. Your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. As for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut. Nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No eye pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you. But you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, Live. Does that sound familiar? He's making them alive again. He's making them his bride. Back to verse 6. I said to you in your blood, live. 
I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord. And you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. That's a beautiful foreshadowing of what happened when Jesus married the church. I say foreshadowing because at the time of Ezekiel, even after God's grace to them and his ways of restoring Israel, they would still continue to fail him and turn from him, living under the law. Only when Christ came, who atoned for our sin, were God's people able to be eternally sanctified and presented without blemish. It was accomplished later through Jesus. This image in Ezekiel 16 is just a shadow of what's on offer through Jesus. God's people... The church were dead in their trespasses. The church was cast out. She was bloody. She was dirty. She was as good as dead. And then, Jesus. Jesus walks by and he says, At last, I found her, my beloved, my bride, my wife. Can you imagine? Live, child, live. And then he walks away and he comes back when she's grown up. She's beautiful. She's well-formed. And he marries her and he washes her and he covenants with her never to turn away from doing her good. This imagery might sound a bit odd in terms of Christ and the church, but only probably because we're weak in our theology of the church Sometimes, and, and, how the, and the fact that we are Christ's bride. It's probably something that we haven't reflected on much, but it's incredible. And so let's finish up by thinking through what we do with all of this, right? How do we actually not just stay weak in our appreciation of, for being Christ's bride? Okay? How do, how do we continue appreciating the richness of this and letting it shape our lives? There's lots of ways, but I'm going to focus on two. Okay, So make a note of these. Two big applications here that help us live as Christ's bride. One of them is unpacked explicitly for us in Ephesians 5. It's marriage. Marriage. As I've said earlier, tonight isn't a sermon on human marriage. It's on Christ and the church. But while Christ and the church is the focus... We explicitly see in Ephesians 5 and other places how human marriage helps us appreciate this, including those of us who aren't married but still understand the relationship of human marriage, whether from experience or observation, right? We, we, we witness this, we observe this, or we know this ourselves. And so if you are married, husbands, love your wives unconditionally with grace. And when you fail at that, remember how Christ didn't fail in his unconditional love for us and praise him for that. And then keep loving your wives. And wives, follow your husbands 
learning to trust their leadership. And when they fail as leaders, remember how Christ never did and praise him for that. And when you struggle to trust and follow your husband, remember Christ's grace for you and for your husband as well as we all struggle to trust and follow God. Husbands, give yourself up for your wives like Christ gave himself up for us. Be self-sacrificial. And when it hurts, remember how much Christ hurt for us on the cross. And when you fail to put your wife first, repent and then remember how Christ never failed in giving up himself up for us wretched sinners and praise him for that. No matter who you are or what your life circumstances are, look to others who are married to help you appreciate what it means to be Christ's bride. God gave us this gift of human marriage to see in other people and others as well to witness and have that model to us, that relationship between Christ and the church. Christ loved us unconditionally and Christ gave himself up for us and cleansed us. The second big area for us to work at living as Christ's bride is church. Right? The thing that we're actually focusing on understanding across this whole term at the moment. Church. The union that Christ has with us is so intimate that we are his bride. And that union is not with lots of separate individuals because as his bride, we are also each members together of one body, Christ's body, with Christ as the head. And so recognizing the church as Christ's bride and Christ's body reminds us that Christ didn't just forgive us to like send us on our way, you know, like, okay, you're forgiven now, make good choices, okay. Um, he saved us, he brought us together. He redeemed and saved himself a people to be his church, his body, his bride. So we've been saved into a community. Church isn't just like an extracurricular social activity. Church isn't even like a just a pragmatic thing that's, that's useful for our own personal relationship with God to like keep things on the radar or something like that. Church is what God has saved us to. And we saw in Ephesians that he predestined us to be part of it together before he even created the world. Which means that we all witness and understand and appreciate what Christ has done and what he's called us to when we gather together and embody the church. We understand and embody what it means to be Christ's bride most clearly and directly in church community. Human marriage models it on a micro level, sure, between two people. It points toward it. It's a shadow of it. And it's an incredibly powerful and beautiful model of it. But us together as Christ's church, in relationship with him, that's the bigger thing that human marriage is simply pointing us toward. So for all of us, regardless of our circumstances, remember that church matters. Church matters. Prioritize it. 
each week and throughout the year. That might mean, you know, say no to taking on commitments or routines that would pull you or your family or others out of the routine of church. Or, or perhaps pull back from ones that are already doing that for you. Look out for your brothers and sisters who you haven't seen in a while. Consider how you can love them and if there are ways you can support them and see them get back here. And don't just attend. Invest deeply here. We're one body. We're not strangers. Even if you don't know someone, you're brothers and sisters in Christ. Prioritize ways to invest deeply with people in relationship. Prioritize point group. If that means joining a point group, then talk to a pastor, talk to someone at the welcome desk. Or if you're already in one, that means prioritizing it in your routine so you can be sustainably getting there as much as possible. Life's busy, absolutely. But that's actually all the more reason why we need to actively prioritize church and fellowship. Um, if you want to think about this for a moment, if, as we look to like human marriage to remind us of Christ's relationship with the church, then I think looking at human marriage, we're pretty quickly reminded of what it means to prioritize our relationship with Christ, right? I'm, um, I'm currently in a season of life that's pretty low on spare time, okay? I'm sure lots of you can relate. Uh, to feeling like you wish you had more spare time. Um, my wife, Ali, and I, we have four kids all below school age in our family. And so even, even days at home with no plans are, like, full of plans somehow. Um, they're, they're, they're full of things that are going on, barely any empty spaces in the schedule. So it can be hard for Ali and I to have much regular quality time together without kids around. And when you throw in the fact that we're both working and have lots of other commitments and routines, it will be so easy for Ali and I to just say, we don't have time to invest in each other right now. We're just too busy. And I know even still that we have much more time than a lot of other people here tonight. All right? I know that many people among us in all stages of life, whether young or old or kids or no kids, whatever, uni, work, you can all be in circumstances very similar to that where life feels so full that you feel like there's no room to breathe. It's overwhelming. And yet... It's just not an option for Ali and I to say we don't have time to invest in each other. We need to invest in each other. It'll look different through different seasons of our life, absolutely. Sometimes we can invest more and sometimes less. And that's the same with church. There'll be seasons of life where because of health or other things, that church and point group can be harder than at other times. Sometimes you can be heavily involved in ministry. Other times you can't. But while Ali and I can bend in light of our circumstances, we can't break. The bottom line is, if, if something in our lives is stopping us from investing in our marriage, then the other things need to change. That's just the shadow of Christ in the church, right? How much more so does that matter for Christ and his bride, the church? If you're feeling like church and point group aren't sustainable, then take a step back and consider what you might be able to do to, to make it sustainable. If you're not sure, then reach out to a pastor or a point group leader and think it through. Now remember, 
We saw earlier that Christ loves us unconditionally. We're in a marriage of grace. He doesn't love us only if we keep a minimum record of attendance, right? But he made us alive again to make us his bride. That was why he did it. So we should live like it. We should live like we are Christ's bride. We should invest in that marriage with Christ. He didn't save us because we earned it as the perfect bride, but he saved us in order that we could become his bride. This right here, the church, is God's masterpiece that he saved us to. It's his plan, the mystery of his will that he, he predestined before creation. And it's what Christ has saved us to. So here at the point, let's have a culture that never forgets that. Church is beautiful. It's broken, but it's washed clean. It's messy, but it's the community that God chose to marry. It's flawed, but it's loved unconditionally and presented before God sanctified and without flaws or blemish. Church is what God predestined and saved us to be a part of. Church matters to God, so church should matter to us and needs to matter to us. We're going to finish up by reading a passage at the end of your Bibles. Uh, We heard it before um, from the band. Come with me to Revelation 21. So at the end of your Bibles, Revelation chapter 21. I said before that God's message to Jerusalem in Ezekiel was a shadow of what would be fulfilled in Jesus, which would be even greater. Well, here's the even greater marriage that was accomplished through Christ on the cross, a new Jerusalem. Uh, Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And keep going down to verse 9. Go to verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. That's us. That's us. That's the church. Jesus did that. Christ did that for us, his bride. I'm going to pray. Dear God, thank you that you chose us unconditionally to be your bride. 
Thank you that you love us and gave your son up for us to make us your bride. Thank you that you cleansed us to present us washed and without blemish. We're sorry when we don't value the church you've saved us into like we should. Please help us live with appreciation for the blessing of being in your church, to value your church like we should, and to point our brothers and sisters around us to value your church like they should, because that's one of the beautiful strengths of your body, as all of us in your church point each other to you. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our latest sermon, or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5 p.m. Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tpcc.org.au.